welcome back to our podcast. And today we're going to be talking about some forms of carbon and like their differences. So like charcoal versus coal and graphite versus graphene. So I'm going to start off by talking about charcoal versus coal. So both charcoal and coal are very rich carbon containing compounds. But the thing about them is they aren't pure forms of carbon. They're more than just carbon. So coal, again, is a type of sedimentary rock. So I don't want to get into too much geology, but um, since it's a rock, there's some geology. But basically, sedimentary rock means that there's more than, well, there's just a, there's an accumulation of materials, like dead plants and animal matter, and some other, like, materials that'll just kind of cement together to form a nice little rock. And that process will take millions and millions of years. Like I said, coal is mostly carbon, but it does contain hydrogen, sulfur, and nitrogen as well, since it has those other plant materials. It is combustible, so it'll burn, and it is commonly used as like a fuel source, since everyone knows the you know, coal. Interestingly, there are like actually some different ranks of coal, so there's, forgive me for the pronunciation, I'm not a geologist. My sister, who is one, is going to like execute me, but um, so there's lignite, or sometimes called brown coal, which is like the lowest rank of coal. Um, and then there is subtumneous coal, bituminous coal, or black coal, and then the highest rank is anthracite. So anthracite is like hard and black and has a bit of a shine to it. And it's the highest rank because it has the fewest impurities. So it's like the best rank of coal because of the highest ratio of carbon. In the process of coal formation or coalification, named very matter-of-factly, um, that's where like the plant matter turns into coal, and it follows that order of lignite turning into sub sub subatumious to bituminous to an anthracite. Oh, I'm gonna get roasted by my sister. <laughs> coal is very basic. There's not like a lot to it. Um, I found more on charcoal. So charcoal, on the other hand, that's residue so it's a very porous black solid with amorphous carbon um, and amorphous in chemistry just means that the chemical structure of that compound which is the way the molecules have arranged themselves they're not in this orderly crystalline structure that's kind of doing whatever the heck they want having a big old party so whenever some thing is burned like wood or bone or a plant you know, there's going to be more than just hydrocarbons and carbon containing stuff in there. So there's going to be that residue, and that's basically what charcoal is, the stuff that's left behind. So like coal, you know, there's different types of charcoal. So there's common, like, the names of that would be, like, coke, which is not cocaine. That's a different compound. Um, <laughs> carbon black, and then good old basic soot. And then there are different classifications of carbon. So common charcoal, which is like from wood or peat, um, typical things that you burn. Sugar charcoal, which sounds interesting, but I didn't go into too much research into that. It's basically just the carbonization of sugar. And there's activated charcoal, which is used commonly in medicine and research. So they'll heat charcoal up with like some gases, and then they'll cause like these pores to form in the charcoal. And then from that, you can, those pores can then absorb certain things. So there's a lot of research in the medicinal industry of what that can be used for. And then there's lump charcoal, which is just 
formed from burning types of hardwood. And here's a fun fact for you, because it relates to fire. The process of making charcoal is called pyrolysis, which is fun because pyro means fire, um, because they have to burn stuff to make charcoal. So fun fact, I found that funny because I like fire. Yeah, but essentially coal is a type of rock that can burn and charcoal is just residue left behind from burnt stuff. Nice. Um, I did graphene versus graphite, which is fun because structurally, um, if you watched our video or if you listened to our episode on graphite, you know that the reason pencil lead is so pencil lead when it's made of the same thing that diamonds are made of is because there are different layers and the layers aren't really, they're connected by weak forces, so it's easy for them to come off. And since pencil lead is graphite and clay, that just kind of happens. But graphene is a single layer of that. So the weakness that you get with those forces is not present there because it's it's just not there. There aren't multiple layers, which makes it very strong. Which is why it's used for things like nanotubes. Um, it's actually the strongest material tested so far. So, you know, it's just kind of fun because it's the same thing as graphite, which you see and you're like, that's, that's not strong. You can like rub your finger against it and it comes off. But graphene is so incredibly strong. And there are actually... The ways to make these, you would think they're sort of similar, but they're really not. The main way to make graphene right now is called chemical vapor deposition, and I'm going to call that CVD because it's way shorter and easier to say. Um, but overall, it works by using atoms in their gaseous form to slowly coat a substrate. So you're going to have, in this specific example, it's going to be carbon. But in this, this is a very slow process, microns per hour. It takes a long time, but it can be... It can create very pure substances, very high quality substances, which is a nice thing about it. There is a downside though, because it produces toxic gases, which is not good for the environment or for people or really for anything, because the um, the gases that are being used have to be volatile enough to react, but not quite enough to make it difficult to put them in the chamber where they react, and it's a very interesting spot. And they end up being very toxic a lot of the time. It requires a lot of heat. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It's very hot. Um, but there are two main steps. The first one is to disassociate the carbon atoms, which prevents soot and other materials from forming, so that it's not going to form anything other than graphene in theory when, on, when it's being brought in or when it's brought in. And then the second step is actually turning it into graphene. So without a, without a catalyst, which is why we use catalysts, this would take place at the nice, you know, nice average temperature of 2,500 degrees Celsius, which, you know, 4,532 4, degrees Fahrenheit. So not really ideal. With a catalyst, you can bring it all the way down to 1,000 degrees Celsius, which is quite a bit lower. It's just still very hot, which is 1,832 degrees Fahrenheit. The problem with introducing catalysts into the reaction, though, is that you're introducing other materials for the carbon to react with. So, in the article I read, which was um, by graffinia.org, I believe. Let me check that real quick. Graffinia.com. It's very interesting. I, if, you, if you're interested in this, I suggest you take a look at it. But they um, used the example of nickel. And they were like, they didn't really specify, specify what exactly would happen, but they talked about, or they wrote about how if you introduce nickel as a catalyst how it can interact with that 
And that's just, it's not ideal because you only want the carbon bonding with itself to create graphene. Um, it's still a work in progress. It's, it's not a perfect uh, method. One problem is that the, the relationship between the carbon and the substrate that it's created on is not completely understood. And so it's actually very difficult to remove the graphene from the, from the substrate without damaging the structure or the properties of it. It seems to work better. It's, they've tried to use a copper substrate, which seems to work better because you can insert a layer of copper oxide in between them, which is weak, and then you can remove the graphene after that. And it also allows the copper to be reused again, so you're not wasting as much. Um, there are also methods to remove the graphene that involve coating it in a stronger substance. The one that they um, talked about was polymethyl methacrylate, I probably mispronounced that, or PMMA, and that one seemed to work fairly well. I mean, it's still a work in progress. It's not a completely ironed out method. When it comes to graphite, on the other hand, there are two main ways it's produced. The first one is going to be mining because it exists naturally in the environment, not often in large quantities. It's not easy to find large deposits, but they do exist in some places. The other way is through manufacturing or synthetically making it. And this is a, it's an interesting process. It starts out actually with a waste product from coal, from oil refineries, which is um, calcined petroleum coke, which is, you know, a, it's a waste product from oil refineries. And that's the first thing you have to start with the process. Calcined means it's cleaned. That's the basic thing. You get the petroleum coke from the oil refineries, then you clean it and it becomes calcined petroleum coke. It's also used to make aluminum, fun fact, in case that was interesting to you. But at the beginning of this process, it's very gravelly, and it's not really going to bond with itself in the best way. And so in order to do that, they need to bring a fluid in, sort of like you would with cement, where you have this powdery cement and you add water, and it does, you know what cement does when you add water to it. It's basically like that. And this they, for this they use coal tar pitch, which is a byproduct of the reactions that make coal tar, and coal tar itself is a byproduct of the reactions that make coal gas and coke from coal. But when this coal tar pitch is heated, it becomes more of a fluid, and that's when they add it to the petroleum coke. And then this material is heated for about 1,000 degrees Celsius, which is about 1,832 degrees Fahrenheit for two to three weeks. Then, because they want the final product to be at the correct density, more coal tar pitch is added, although it's not heated as much, and that fills the pores that have formed in it. And then it's heated again to 1,000 degrees Celsius, or 1,832 degrees Fahrenheit, for another two to three weeks. And then, there's more steps, don't worry. The next step is where the carbon becomes graphite, and this is called graphitization. They named it nicely. And in this one, they put the rods which have formed from this coal tar pitch and petroleum coke into a furnace. They put some loose petroleum coke on top of it and then they charge the furnace. And because both the petroleum coke and the rods are, they resist, there a lot of resistance to it, it creates a very large amount of heat, which is 2,300 degrees Celsius. I did not check what the conversion is that is in Fahrenheit, but it's, it's very hot. And then during this step, the carbon atoms will change structure into planes that make graphite. Because before this step, it's just carbon. It's not graphite yet. During this step, they will actually change structure into the structure that we know as graphite, the 
you know, planes with the spaces in between them. And then there is, there are two more steps actually. The next one is just making sure the rods match tolerance, which is basically the amount off of a certain measurement you, that can be tolerated. It's like you want it to be a certain diameter and the tolerance is the amount greater than or less than um, that that diameter can be to still be accepted. And then the final step involves wax or um, a certain kind of resin. Although wax is much more commonly used, most likely because it's much more cost effective and that's a good thing. Um, but the wax is absorbed by the graphite, which keeps the graphite from being negatively affected by water, which would be you know, hurting the properties, just not, not doing good things. And yeah, that's how you make graphite and also graphene, which are surprisingly different processes being that they're very close in what they are structurally. I have a fun graphite fact, if anyone's interested. Um, yeah, fun fact, because graphite's so cheap and so common, it was actually used in um, the making of atomic bombs and also uh, nuclear reactors. It's, it was used, it's not really, I'm not sure if it is anymore, because um, they could use it to kind of slow neutrons down, because it would get in the way and it was very cheap, so it would get a lot of it. Um, but I don't think it's used any more for nuclear reactors because um, sometimes uh, the, the blocks of graphite could uh, trap heat and catch fire and explode or not will cause things to heat up and explode. That's what happened with Chernobyl actually. Um, so I don't think they, they're trying not to use that anymore. If they do, they need to change it because it's proven to be unsafe, but yeah. yeah a lot of things are wrong with Chernobyl anyways, so. We learned a lot from Chernobyl, what not to do. Thank you for listening and join us next time where we will be discussing some more interesting chemistry topics.